Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And yes, indeed, this is Politics Without the Soap Opera. Welcome to the Conservative Review podcast with Daniel Horowitz. No, nothing has changed. We are the same show that you've always loved, formerly the Conservative Conscience, just a new name, as you could tell. And we are pumped to be expanding this audience. For those of us who have gone with me throughout this journey the last couple of years, this will be the same show that you've always loved. It's just that you can now get it on YouTube. Subscribe to the Conservative Review YouTube channel, and you could get this show anytime you want. Make sure to like it. Ring that bell. For new listeners, new viewers, welcome to a new frontier. This is going to be a show like no other. Literally conservative review. We are reviewing conservatism. What does it mean to be a conservative? What does it mean specifically to the important issues challenges, public policy, laws, statutes, court cases, the stuff that actually matters. That's what we're going to go over. And this is really your one-stop shop of independent conservative thought. And I stress that word independent. So if you don't consider yourself a Republican, well, I think you'll like this show as well because I don't consider myself a Republican either. We are independent conservatives and uh, certainly we are proud to bring this show to an entirely new audience, a video audience. Thank you so much, Rob, David, the CR and Blaze Media team in our Dallas and DC offices for making this possible. Let's just jump right into it. Again, most shows are named after the show host. This is Conservative Review Podcast because it's all about the issues. You look back at this week, and this week really in my mind, defines why we started conservativereview.com, why I started the Conservative Conscience audio podcast, and why we are now relaunching the Conservative Review video podcast. Nobody's conservative anymore. You look back to this week, we got hosed on the worst budget bill in a decade. $2 trillion debt ceiling increase. We're getting killed on the border, and the few nascent successes that the president is starting to actualize are crumbling because of this insane judicial supremacy, something, by the way, I warned about in my book just three years ago, Stolen Sovereignty, that if we didn't get the courts under control, nothing, and I mean nothing, would matter. Because if a single district judge could determine the fate of this nation, then nothing matters. So we got that going on. Then we have 3,100 hardened federal criminals being let out early from prison. These are people that even Obama didn't want to let out early. And guess what? Under this administration, they were let out, including 900 criminal aliens, illegal aliens. Hopefully they'll be deported. But this is not success. This show is not about, oh, Let's cheer for Trump like a bunch of Teletubbies. Nor is it about bashing him. It's about consistently finding the strategies, the legislation, the legalities, the messaging that works for conservatism and, frankly, works for the country. The stuff we're dealing with, basic border security, sovereignty, sane budgeting, 
healthcare that actually runs like a normal market, like everything else these days. Having three branches of government rather than a district judge controlling everything in this country. These are issues that common sense Americans could understand. I always tell people that in the elite circles, the professional politicos, conservatism is almost extinct, extinct. I don't know any conservatives left. But when it comes to your average American, it's the opposite. More people are conservative, including those who don't even consider themselves to be conservative. So where, where, where do we start from today? Let's review the week. Budget. Yesterday, the House of Representatives, by a pretty strong majority, about 280 uh, yes votes, passed this budget to bust the budget caps, permanently undo the one conservative success we've ever had in our lifetime, or at least this generation, the Budget Control Act, Increased spending by $321 billion, a two-year debt ceiling increase that will amount to 2 to $2.5 trillion. Imagine saying, you know what? From now until August 1st, 2021, the remainder of Trump's first term and into his second term if he gets one, despite $22 trillion in debt, it doesn't matter. We could spend how, however much we want. I'm all about policy outcomes. You know, it's sad thinking back, Ross Perot recently died. And I remember my dad voted for him. He used to attend those uh, those meetings, United We Stand meetings, our local chapter here in uh, Central Maryland. And I was flipping through his book at the time and they were going crazy about approaching five trillion in debt, five trillion. Now we're at 22 trillion. And he had all these graphs and charts about how we were going to blow out the deficit. And we have surpassed those charts. Now, as you can see, I'm pretty young. And I still remember that time. I also remember when I already got into this professionally, writing press releases for sitting members of Congress for candidates in the year of the Tea Party, just nine years ago in 2010, warning about the unfathomable pace at which we achieved $14 trillion in debt under the first year or two of Barack Hussein Obama. With three branches of control under Republican control, and now two, 22 trillion in debt, and with this bill, it's gonna skyrocket. So what happened? Almost every single Democrat voted for it. Out of 230, 240 or so Democrats, only 16 voted against it. They were just random protest votes for various reasons. They all supported it. Two-thirds of the Republicans voted against it. Put another way, despite Kevin McCarthy and the loser Republican leadership whipping and twisting their arms off, twice as many Republicans voted no as those who voted yes. Yet the president supported the Democrats. And he tweeted out, this is a great bill. This is awesome. This is the 12th budget that we had the opportunity to not just deal with fiscal sanity, but finally get funding for the border wall, funding for ICE and defund Planned Parenthood and any other priorities that this president promised to achieve. Well, this was the last stop and now it's over with. The job that I view, you know, our job here, and and I, I like saying we in our plural language because this is truly a group effort. 
um, those new viewers will come to appreciate how we've really established this rapport. You could always email me, dharowitz at blazemedia.com. We meet at RM Conservative. Let me know your thoughts. And a lot of you have been a help digging up stories for me. And we're going to get to that in a minute when we talk about immigration. But we, what we are doing is not working. Picture the last two and a half years as a football game. And we have, you know, lots of ruckus going on in the stands. You got concession stands, food. And imagine focusing 100% of your effort on the food, the cheerleading, people verbally fighting and cheering on their teams on the stands. But meanwhile, the game is going on and only one team has men on the field. Only one team is looking at every down, first down, second down, third down. Okay, what's our opportunity? How much yardage could we get? Running play, passing play. How do we, do, how do we get points on the board? And the other side is just absent. And rather than the people in the stand saying, get on the field, folks, get on, get the ball, score some points. Hey, how about uh, what that cheerleader is wearing over there? Or you turn to your, you know, the guy sitting behind you who's a fan of the other team and you start yelling at him and fighting, but that doesn't score you points. And this is what some of my colleagues have done in this business, focusing solely on the superficiality, these quasi-cultural eruptions on Twitter. When meanwhile, the Democrats get everything they want on every single budget bill, spending, immigration, you name it, every time. This happened even when Republicans had control of all three branches of government. You know, <clears throat> what was this? I think it was March 29th of 2018, a little over a year ago. This was the last budget betrayal when Republicans passed a $296 billion busting of the budget cap. The border crisis was starting then, and they did nothing, nothing for the wall, nothing for anything. And a few of us were battling for a month or two to get people focused on this budget battle. And we said, Mr. President, there's something called a veto pen. The founders thought that the veto pen would make the president a king. And that's why they actually lowered the threshold for a veto override from three-fourths to two-thirds. Because, you know, George Mason at the time was like, hey, governors use these vetoes all the time to extort the legislature to do anything they anything he wants. And yet this president, for all the accusations of him being authoritarian, a dictator, a Nazi by the left, the guy doesn't even know where his veto pen is. So here's what the president said at the time, March 29th, 2018, when he agreed to sign this insane budget bill that gave away the remainder of his leverage before the midterms where they lost control of the House. Let's play that clip here. Listen here. Therefore, as a matter of national security, I've signed this omnibus budget bill. There are a lot of things that I'm unhappy about in this bill. There are a lot of things that we shouldn't have had in this bill, but we were, in a sense, forced, if we want to build our military, we were forced to have. There are some things that we should have in the bill. But I say to Congress, I will never sign another bill like this again. I'm not going to do it again. Nobody read it. 
It's only hours old. Some people don't even know what it is. $1.3 trillion. It's the second largest ever. President Obama signed one that was actually larger, which I'm sure he wasn't too happy with either. But in this case, it became so big because we need to take care of our military. We need to take care of our military. That's what the president said. We need to take care of our military. First of all, let me just say, again, for all the accusations of this president being unhinged, the new type of guy, that's pretty establishment Republican to me. That was the traditional line for years from these establishment Republicans. We got to give the Democrats everything they want on the Department of Education, abortion, uh, the border, HUD, Democrat dependency programs and welfare entitlements, because we got to spend money on the military. Now, here we are, 13, not 13 months later, 17 months later, 16 months later, and the president is using the same thing. I had to give in because we had to get money for the military. But you already had it last March. This is what makes no sense. All they had to do was hold the line on the baseline of spending to what Trump upped the spending last March. They didn't need to increase it more. He could have just passed a clean CR and do it in one month, two month increments and start building the case for spending cuts, building the case for the border wall, building the case for more funding for ICE. And all the while, you have the leverage over the Democrats that as soon as those temporary CRs expire, the automatic budget caps come back into place. So he always had the status quo on his side. He had something in his hands that the Democrats needed. They always needed this, and that was the the budget caps. He gave it away for free when he didn't have to do it. And he did it two months early. Why? Why two months early? For the last decade that I've been following this, they waited to the last minute. There's two months left to the fiscal year. Why give away two years worth of leverage two months before the deadline? God forbid should we have a government shutdown. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, that's that's a whole myth in itself. We could talk about another time. But at least build the case over the August recess. Another power the president has under Article two is to call Congress back in session. So, again, he's given up on this bill. So my job here is to always call call the next play. You screwed up first down. Okay, you, you threw the ball away. Here's your next play. Call Congress back into session. Maybe let them go home a couple days and dramatically call them back in August and say, you will now deal with the border. Here's where we stand now. The House voted on the bill. The Senate's likely going to vote Monday or Tuesday. The House is out, by the way. Their job, our work here is done. I mean, these guys are on vacation until after Labor Day. Okay, so, you know, they go on all these funny codels, they're called these phony trips where they're disguised as fact finding missions, but they're on the taxpayer dime. And uh, really, it's just to have fun. They bring their families and everything. While they're doing that, border agents 
are sitting at that river with 30 foot cane at night in 100 degree weather where they could be ambushed by the cartels at any time. By the way, there's tons of rattlesnakes. There are massive rattlesnakes in, um, in that brush. An agent friend of mine was just telling me about that. I was like, how do you not step on those things? He's like, yeah, it's a problem. You know, some of our guys have gotten bitten by them. But these blank holes sitting in their air-conditioned air office refuse to do anything about it. We'll get to that, hopefully, if we have time on immigration. But just to close the loop on this budget, the Senate doesn't have to do this. Folks, ask, ask yourself this question. Where is Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, Rand Paul, Tom Cotton, Josh Hawley? I'm just picking you know, John Kennedy, people that are allegedly conservative. I would never ask a single senator or one or two or three after their entire party, including their president, had already capitulated to hold up the budget bill a day before a government shutdown. Not that I believe we can't win the messaging war, but you can't have one guy doing it if the entire party is against them. But we are two months away from the deadline, two months from August 1st. I mean, two months and a couple days. Why don't these senators band together and block all unanimous consent requests? And that will grind to halt the process and say to McConnell and the president, no, this is not good enough. There's no reason for this. We have two months left. We are going to stay throughout August and we're going to debate budget from a spending standpoint and we're going to debate it from an immigration standpoint. If we are going to spend ourselves into oblivion and, and chart ourselves now to 24, 25 trillion in debt with the interest payments skyrocketing beyond belief, you better believe we're going to have some funding for sovereignty. Not for humanitarian. We're not the field office field hospital for 49 countries funding for dogs, horses, aircraft, boats at the river to hold line against the cartels, deportations and detention space for ICE. And yes, they need to designate the cartels as terrorists. I have an article out today we're going to link to in show notes about that. There's no reason they can't do this. Why are the people in the primetime lineup of Fox News giving up. These are the times when men and women need to stand up. If you are a conservative, this is a winning issue. Another thing happened today. Big news that I doubt many in the media are going to connect the dots to. So Congress passed the budget bill, just the House for now, to bankrupt us. There's other news today that GDP growth, despite the perceived period of boom, prosperity, record low job market, three point uh, uh, unemployment numbers in the job market, 3.7% unemployment. And yet, and yet, GDP growth for quarter two, which ended June 30th of this year, quarter two of 2019, was just 2.9%. And they revised downward quarter four of 2018, making that just 1.1%. And you know what that means. We all thought we hit 3% last year. Nope. The final numbers 
last year, for the annual year-over-year numbers, 2.5% growth. Now, that's not a sign of a recession, but if this is the best we can do in middle of the most robust job market and the biggest tax cuts we've ever had, we've got a serious problem. It's kind of like, you know, picture going on a road trip. You're going to have areas in the urban areas where you're going to grind to a halt, bumper to bumper traffic, and then you got the open areas, you got to, you know, pedal to the metal, you got to floor it. Let's say you could only hit 65, 70 in those open periods. It's not bad. That's a problem because inevitably you will have the bad parts. Inevitably, we have the business cycle and the contraction periods. This is a big problem. And while I, while I get a drink of water here, my throat is parched. So, you know, this, this is what I like about audio better. You know, you don't see my face. I got a face for radio. So, you know, you, you got you to gotta bear with me here. Um, you know, I had a voice for print, which is why I started off only writing. And then I had a face for radio. So I just did uh, audio. But some of you guys requested video. So we aim to please here. You got your video. But let me ask you, ask you this question. I want you guys to ponder this question as a smart audience. Why is it that on the one hand, we have the best job market? On the one hand, we have 16 consecutive months of three point. Well, 16 consecutive months of 4% or less unemployment. 43 consecutive months, 5% or less. Yet we've never hit GDP. Of 3%. I have an article out explaining this. Every other time this has happened in history, we've hit 4%. We have not hit 3% in 14 years. We have not hit 4% growth in 19 years. We have not hit 5% growth since Reagan. Late 60s, late 90s, we had similar unemployment. 4% growth in the late 60s, we had 6% growth. The best we can do now is 2.5%. This quarter was 2.1%. What gives? Think about that a moment. What gives? So, to me, it's obvious. Those of you who are part of our older audience, you know that I called this last year. I said, despite the tax cuts, Despite the robust growth, we will never hit even 3%, much less 4% growth ever again. Because our economy is not like it ever was in the 90s and 80s. We have a venture socialist, centrally planned, inefficient, market distorted economy. That's number one. And number two is the debt is an albatross around the neck of our economy. We cannot grow because of the debt. Let me explain this. I'm just looking a little bit here at my notes here, the numbers. And uh, GDP growth is comprised of four components. So you got consumer spending, you got gross domestic, private investment, net exports, and government spending. So I want to show you that the top line 2.1% growth is actually, it's even worse than that. The numbers are only high because there's two, two of the components are high. Now, consumer spending uh, comprises 70%. 
So that's most of the pie of that equation is consumer spending. That was up 4.3%. So, and, that, and that's fine. That's good. Demand side spending, that's fine. Even in a centrally planned economy, you have a good job market. People are making wages. Tax cuts put extra money in people's pockets. They're spending money. Frankly, I think also just the culture, people spend more money when they don't have it now. So you got consumer spending. You know what else juiced up the numbers? Government spending. Government spending grew. Okay, are you ready for this? 5% this quarter, but 15.9% for non-defense spending. So, oh, you think it's all military. No, non-defense spending. And most of it was federal, not state spending. Now, what that does is it gives a sugar high to the economy temporarily, but in the long run, the debt that we accrue to spend that money and the market distortions inherent in the stupid programs and regulations that go into that spending kill the economy. And that's why we get to the next components. So net exports were down 5%. That's because the tariffs... That's a whole nother thing. That's a big mistake. We can get into that another time. But I want to focus on gross private investment. That was down, let's see here, 5.5%. And non-investment, non-residential structures. I mean, these are your plants, factories. Contracted 10.8%. The worst since Obama in 2015. You know why that is, folks? The president's being brainwashed by the by Mnuchin and these swampsters around him. Don't worry about the debt. We're going to grow our way out of the debt. Now, first of all, the debt is so big already, you could never grow your way out of it. But there's another point they're missing. We can't grow our way out of the debt. Because the debt itself is preventing us from growing. Until now, here's why we were able to grow with the debt in the 80s and the 90s. Because it wasn't large enough, so the interest payments on the debt were 100 billion a year, 200 billion a year. Interest on the debt is now 460 billion, it doubled. Interest on the debt is more than the federal share of Medicaid, which is just spiked out of control. So, what happens is, government has to, sell treasuries to service that debt. What does that do? The more desperate they are, the more they have to raise the interest rates to attract private investment into that. The more that happens, the more it creates a circuitous cycle of increasing the the interest rates, which increases the debt and the interest on the debt, and it constantly reinforces itself. That's the death spiral we're in now. All of that money Rather than being invested in goods, services, factories, efficient investments, it's going into nothing more than creating dependency programs for Democrat voters. That's all it is. That's, we have crossed the Rubicon sometime this past decade, the point of no return, where the interest on the debt is such a problem we cannot grow out of it. That is why... We might be growing, we might have a job market, but let's say I have have an inefficient economy where government says, create a flatulation machine, and they have a bunch of private investors invest in it, and and here's a mandate that you have to use it, and we're going to subsidize it, 
you could create jobs out of that. But that's inefficient as hell. Our economy is kind of like running a marathon. You could have a juiced up runner. Juiced up on steroids. And he's good. And, you know, he's a lot of energy. But if you make him climb a tree in the middle of the um, marathon and run some sort of detour, no matter how good you do, you're never going to do as good as you could do without that albatross around your neck. That's what our economy is. So, folks, the debt is a problem now. The debt is a problem now. Not later on. I know we're all like Louis the 15th after me, the deluge. We don't care about our children and grandchildren. I get that. But it's a problem now. It's preventing economic growth now. This is what Republicans are doing. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. So Republicans could have an American August. They could focus in the Senate on American taxpayers, the forgotten American taxpayer. Why should we pay for illegal aliens to flood our country and run up all this debt? Why should we pay taxes when they don't enforce the laws? And that's the thing. I want to get to to illegal immigration. You know, the president keeps promising us things and then he doesn't deliver. And then he says, oh, it's the next thing. It's the next thing. So he caved in the last budget battle of, what was it, this past March or or February. And he said, don't worry, I'm going to reprogram funding from defense for the border wall. But the problem is the administration also said something else. That whatever a district judge says, no matter how much it violates standing, statute, the Constitution, precedent, and no matter the consequence, that's God. So the district judges in California said, all right, we're God. You can't build the wall. And indeed, they stopped building it because they don't want to use the funding because the court said you can't use it. The courts today, this week said, Judge Teeger said, you cannot define asylum as it's defined in statute. Gave standing to the ACLU when they don't have standing. In contradiction to another judge at a D.C. which has proper jurisdiction over the issue because it's a D.C. regulatory issue. Okay? And they're not pushing back. So if the president is not going to push back against judicial supremacy, if he is not going to leverage the veto on budget bills and downright actually champion the Democrat budget bills. If he's not going to even push, you know, standalone supplemental disaster bills. Remember, we had that a couple months ago. There's no threat of a government shutdown, but Democrats wanted that bill. There's your leverage. Gave it away. There's nothing left. There's nothing left. But eye popping debt. For everything, Democrat votes, except for our border. We are not winning this. That's why I wanted to give you a broader look of the discernible policy outcomes from the last couple of years. We are three years into this administration. We are not winning. But look, under this, you know, this program here, I don't just complain. We give you strategies, solutions, ideas. Boy, where's the time gone? The time has already flown by. We're having such a good time here. But um, before I forget, I want to move on 
to our third component here. And that is jailbreak. We were proud to be the only scorecard, conservative review, the only scorecard to score against the legislation, the First Step Act. Nonviolent, first time, low level offenders. Bull. Turned out, hundreds of those released in the first tranche had convictions on sex offenses, murder, heavy duty drug trafficking, not just possession. Nobody's in federal prison on possession. That entire thing's a lie. Anyone who lives among the non-elites knows that for every person in jail that you could find that you think is there for too long, nonviolent, and usually there's more to the story, look at the sentencing report. If they would unseal it and you'll see, you know, it wasn't just drugs. They were part of MS-13, Latin Kings gang, where they thought they were responsible for murder. The judge thought he was responsible for murder. But for every one of those cases, I'll find you 20 where you have rapists that serve nine months. Everyone knows this. You know, everyone's talking about this case. This guy, Courtney Thompson, who dumped water on that, assaulted that NYPD uh, officer a couple days ago. And they caught this guy, Courtney Thompson. So it turns out that this guy has. What do you call it? Um. 20, 20 offenses, 20 arrests, robbery, assault, and he was out on probation. A guy with 20 arrests, robbery, assault, and he's a member of the Crips gang, which, by the way, the Bloods and the Crips, everyone views as domestic. More, more and more, they are owned by the Mexican cartels. We're going to talk about that as we develop the show. Um, that's a whole nother threat. He was a Crips gang member. 20 arrests, assault, robbery. This guy is not low-level, non-violent, teletopies. No. He was out. He didn't serve any time. I'm sick of hearing this lie from conservative, phony think tanks like the Heritage Foundation. Fox News, for the first time in their history, putting out a press release endorsing this crappy piece of legislation. And it's all built on a lie. We have an under-incarceration problem. Prison population has already plummeted 15, 20%. And guess what? Violent crime in major metro areas is now going up. With that, I want to read to you an article from phillyvoice.com about a letter sent to the National Enquirer. Uh, Not National Enquirer, Philly Enquirer, Philadelphia Enquirer. And this is very important because it's going to tie into our work here on immigration. And our job as conservatives to get the message out, give the other side of the story, direct the narrative and focus on what's important. You could have one case of a guy under over incarcerated and a hundred under incarcerated. And yet the media will focus on that one, but none of my colleagues will be there to focus on the other hundred. Instead, they'll buy the line hook, line and sinker. Ah, when the criminal justice reform. In bulbs. Anyway, Phillyvoice.com, in a letter to the newspaper's editor and staff that was delivered Wednesday afternoon and shared with Philly Voice a day earlier, the academics, academics, academics say the Philly Inquirer's recent reporting on shootings in the city is damaging criminal justice reform efforts in the city and beyond. Rather than honestly reporting on gun violence and its causes and solutions, this string of stories is rife with misleading claims that risk 
stoking unfounded fear over criminal justice reform. The letter spurred on through the Justice Collaborative calls out crime reporting that repeats narratives fed by law enforcement foes of criminal justice reform. It's funny, like they think we're well funded. Folks, you're looking at the foe of criminal justice reform. I'm the last man standing. I don't know who they're talking about. I can't find anyone. I'd like to know who this collaboration is. I'll work with them. Um, but anyway, suggest that the reporting did not check the empirical evidence backing the claims. Among the 24 academics who signed the letter to the Inquirer was Brianna Remster, an associate professor at Villanova University's Department of Sociology and Criminology. She was quick to point out the letter was written in a confrontational sense, wasn't written in a confrontational sense, but as a result of ongoing conversations within the academic community. The Inky has done some great reporting over the years, but lately it slipped in our opinion. How crime is portrayed in the media has been a longstanding issue. There's been a continual conversation about what's happening in Philly and how it's portrayed in a widely influential newspaper. The, the disconnect, according to Remster, has helped bolster mass incarceration and other trends that criminal justice reformers aim to reverse. Let me tell you something, folks. I, I've lived this because I battled this for four years. The left doesn't want to have a dialogue. And when I say the left, it means both sides on this issue in Washington. They don't want people to know the severity and extent of crime going on. You don't know how many crimes that are committed are by people that were let out under these programs, these early release programs, because it's never reported. You don't know every day Americans are permanently separated in the grave from their children and grandchildren by illegal alien DUIs, child molesters, homicides, gruesome gang attacks. And yet, we never know about it. If it's reported, it's never reported nationally, locally, it's reported as some sort of domestic incident. Why is it that every time there's a shooting, everyone focuses on the gun? We need to hear about it. But then we don't focus on the criminal, the fact that the criminal was let out. The story of Parkland was not guns. The story of Parkland was that this guy Cruz, the perpetrator, they had 40, 50 warnings into the local sheriff's office, the FBI. He was violent as hell and he was never locked up because one of the tenets of criminal justice reform, and I live it here in Maryland, let me tell you, is never lock up a juvenile at all costs. That's the story with that. But yet, because Republicans support the Democrats on this issue, no one is telling the other side, but the academic leftists never have enough. They think that we have a monopoly over the media, that the Philadelphia Inquirer is too strong. Don't, you're not allowed to report the truth that there's crime going on because people are going to want to do something about it. Yeah, buddy. You know, I've deputized you, the audience, to help email me, dharowitz at blazemedia.com. All the stories you see that look like they were committed by illegal aliens, and I promise that I'll do an article on them. I'll try to get from DHS, my contacts, their immigration history, and I'm going to get this to the president. I'm going to get it to his top advisors, DHS officials, and I'm going to make sure he tweets about this. This is what makes me feel so unsettled about my colleagues. The left, do you see how important it is to them to keep us ignorant about what is going on? 
They report on every last illegal alien who dies of natural causes in ICE detention, when, by the way, ICE has a better track record than any pr prison. Lower mortality rate. Two and a half per, per hundred, hundred thousand, and they are dealing with a much sicker population coming from the worst conditions. But we know about those cases. Why don't we know about the daily cases? I mean, just in Iowa this week, three Americans or possibly immigrants, I'm not sure, uh, killed by an illegal alien who was previously deported and is, was now allowed to get back in because the Border Patrol has been used as babysitters rather than holding the line against the cartels. They don't want dissemination of information. I'm going to tell you guys a funny story. It's not so funny. It's my humor, but <laughs> it's not funny. The day that this stupid jailbreak bill passed the House and the Senate. So they were bragging about the largest overhaul of criminal justice in three decades. So you would think you'd be very proud about that. You'd have a protracted debate, a lot of press on it. They knew that if the public would know about this, they wouldn't want it. So they shoved it through the Senate in three hours of debate, and then they brought it up in the House under what's called suspension. No debate. Um, there was a, it needs two-thirds vote to pass. It's the same way they vote on post office naming bills. Because they didn't want us to shed light on it. They didn't, on the day, on the floor schedule, they didn't even publicize it. Publicize it. They ensconced it in another bill. They wouldn't name it. People didn't even know it was, it was on the docket that day. On the floor. <laughs> but also that day, Senator Tom Cotton in the Senate put forth two amendments, and he said, look, all I asked from you is two things. Number one, that the Bureau of Prisons publish every time they release people who it is, their history, their criminal history, and to publish a quarterly report on all the people who reoffend. We are told that this has amazing, magical, unicorn Teletubby programs that will prevent recidivism. Don't worry, they're going to be reformed human beings. Okay, so don't we want to see the metrics? I mean, that, that was the whole point, to stop recidivism, right? So let's just track how many reoffend, right? They voted it down. And then finally, he had an amendment to uh, force BOP to allow the victim to issue a victim impact statement, and the warden, before releasing them, has to read it. Now, it didn't give the victim veto authority over this early release, but it nonetheless force them to at least allow the victim to make a statement. No, it was voted down by bipartisan majorities. Folks, there's a reason for it. If the public knew the information that we have been building here for years, Conservative Conscience, now we're the Conservative Review podcast, on immigration, the degree of criminal aliens, cartels, MS-13, as a result of the border, as a result of the breakdown of interior enforcement, and then just in general, how much crime there is from people that are released under this early release program. How much we have an under-incarceration um, problem. And again, to me, I don't think we need more people in prison. If you enforce the laws better and give people tougher sentencing, you'll have fewer, you'll have fewer people committing the crimes. Right now, it's a joke. 
One of the things, as you all know, I've seen from going through all these criminal alien stories, trying to research, you know, the immigration history and show how sanctuary cities released a guy and he went on to commit other crimes. I'm seeing just generically, I'm like, just just generically with crime, these people don't serve any time anymore. No one does for anything. We're losing on crime. We're losing on immigration. We're losing on spending. We're losing on healthcare. We're losing on the courts. All the civilization force multiplying issues. It doesn't have to be this way. The people are with us. The polling shows this on crime and immigration. Top issues. People want sovereignty and security. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of the left. If they felt they could win on this, they'd be loud and proud about it. They have to do this under the radar. Anyway, there's a lot more going on. I've just about run out of steam and and my voice here. So I'm leaving a lot on the table here. We'll save for Monday's show. But I hope you guys have really um, enjoyed this new new setting here. My home office. Again, thanks to our D.C. and Dallas team for setting me up here. Drop me a note. Send me an email. dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Let me know your comments, concerns, questions, what you want us to cover here. There's never enough time to cover everything we want to cover. There's so much more where this came from. Stories I have from border agents I've recently spoken to. Go to conservativereview.com. Click on my name. Click on an article and you could just click on my name. Read all, all of our articles. We have about 10 important articles. We got Nate Madden, my colleague, our Capitol Hill correspondent. You could subscribe to his Capitol Hill brief newsletter at um, Blaze Media. You can go to Blaze's website and get that, our sister uh, website. Again, for those of you that are old-fashioned like me, you just want to hear audio, nothing has changed. This is the same show that you like, better quality audio, um, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever it is. If you you want video, which a lot of you do, Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Conservative Review YouTube channel. We'll show you how to like it. Ring that bell. And I'm telling you, welcome to the revolution. We are going to cover the issues no one else covers. We're going to cover what's important. No soap, soap opera, no drama. Independent conservative thought. Have a great summer weekend. Enjoy the time with your family. And... I'm telling you, we're going to rock and roll next week. God bless you all.